Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done in secret, of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Therefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Father, we come to you once more and ask that you would bless for the next few moments. Give clarity of thought and mind, and I pray that you would work in our hearts with the truth of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Several things I want to bring to light here. We made a, a, a slight mention of it in the earlier service. But in, uh, as we deal with this chapter in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, Paul addresses the fact that we're to be followers of God as dear children. And, uh, of course, in chapter number 6, he tells us how children are supposed to be respondent to their parents. And so we have a great illustration given that we're to be re- uh, followers of God the way that children are to be in subjection and obedience and honoring their own parents. And so we ought to be uh, doing the same things. We obey God simply because it's right. Uh, we honor Him, and God gives reward for honoring, and we're thankful for that. But we're to be followers of God as dear children. He talks about the fact that uh, there was an old man, an old nature that we used to be a part of, and he talks about the fornication and uncleanness of these things and filthiness that ought not to be named among us. They ought not to be even uh, things that uh, we get involved with. And in fact, he even, talk, he even talks about the fact in uh, uh, verse number 12 that it's a shame even to speak of those things. Understand that uh, the church at Ephesus uh, was in a city that had a lot of idol worship, and uh, there were some groves that were built to the idols there that uh, a lot of immoral things would take place in the, under the guise of worshiping some of these idols, and there was a lot of corruption and fornication going on there. And Paul, trying to preach separation and trying to explain to them that they're no longer walking after the flesh, but now they're to walk in newness of life, they're to walk in the Spirit, uh, goes through these things that, that were prevalent during that day in the, in the city. And I say all that to give you a little bit of background and context to this, because I, I believe a lot of times when we study Scripture, uh, sometimes in our minds and our hearts we may think, well, okay, that's the ideal but in reality, we live in a real world, and we can't always have the ideal. And I think sometimes we get that in our minds. But understand, and I say that because a lot of people have said this in the past, or I've heard some of these things like this. Uh, I don't want to be different. I want to, I want to live like everybody else. I want to have a normal life. And the truth is, we live in a very dark society. We live in a very dark world. And our nation, in the days that we live in, very much parallel some of the wickedness that was going on in Ephesus. And Paul was telling the church there, listen, these things ought not to be so in a Christian. These things ought to be separate from us. In fact, we ought not to even speak of those things because there there was such a a bad connotation given to the lifestyle of what was going on in Ephesus that Paul said these things ought not even be named among you. Uh, Verse number 3, let's look at that for a minute and see with this thing. He says, but fornication and all uncleanness and covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become a saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. 
For this we know that no whoremonger or unclean person or covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you that vain words for, uh, with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath, of, the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be ye not therefore partakers with them. And for ye were sometimes darkness, but now ye are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And Paul is teaching here separation from the world, and not just separation from the world, but separation unto God, unto a newness of life. I think for a long time, especially in our Baptist circles, we have preached on and prided ourselves by what we are not. And while we certainly want to refrain and have standards and have separation from worldliness and worldly things, can I say this, that the priority ought to be that we separate ourselves unto holiness and unto righteousness and unto God. And those things of the world, if we begin to do it that way and begin to keep our eyes focused upon Him, uh, Hebrews chapter 12 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And he goes on to say, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. And is set down at the right hand of God. And we find out that this, this, this victory over the, the flesh nature and this uh, strength that a Christian needs to overcome the temptations and, the, and the, um, the drawing, the enticements of the world comes only as we look unto the Lord Jesus Christ as the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, we ought to be set aside and consecrated, not just separated from the world, but consecrated unto God. And given ourselves to a, a life of holy living. And so this is where Paul's coming from. This is the gist of what he's saying here. And he's going to give us some things that we can do to help us with this. As we look in verse number 10, he says, Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. This is what our conduct should be like. We talk often about a testimony. And sometimes I'm not one of these lifestyle evangelists that you never share the gospel with anybody that you just live a life and they'll gravitate to you. That, that went around in the 80s and 90s. There's a big push for that kind of uh, thing that, oh, don't, don't go out and tell people about Christ. Just live a good life, you know. And we were so anti-lifestyle evangelism that we kind of pushed aside the holy living idea. Yes, we ought to be telling people about the Lord Jesus Christ, but we also ought to be living a life that is holy. Proving, what Paul says here, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And as a Christian, uh, there's nothing wrong with teaching standards. And there's nothing wrong with teaching separation. And in fact, the Bible teaches clearly that we ought to be pursuing after those things. As our hearts fall in love with the Lord and as we walk closer to Him and as our relationship grows with Him, there ought to be a tendency of growth in the Christian life. I was talking to a preacher friend of mine uh, just this week. We spent a couple hours on the phone together uh, dealing with some things and uh, just talking and fellowshipping and sharing some things back and forth. And we got to talking. He was a good friend of mine. In fact, he and I grew up together uh, just as young boys growing up. And both of us ended up uh, surrendering to preach and going off to college and uh, both of us pastoring churches today. And uh, we were talking about uh, some of the messages we preached 20, 30 years ago. <laughs> and there's times I, re I listen to some of those and I think, what in the world was I thinking? Because there ought to be a growth there ought to be something that we pursue after Christ and we grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And in this area of separation, in this area of coming out from among them and being separate and not having these things of the world and worldliness creeping in, uh, there ought to be a growth in that. We may not see it the first month or the first year or the first five years that we're saved, but as we grow and mature in the Christian faith, God shows us more and more things. And there ought to be a progression in this area. And nowadays, we come to church, and the church house is saying, you know what, we don't want to be separate from the world. We, in fact, we want to invite the world into our church. It'll help us to bring more people in. And yet the Bible is completely different. It doesn't mean we have to hate people that are outside our church. And, and I think there's been a, a swing of the pendulum at some point in our past that we've gone become almost hateful in our separation. That certainly is not what we're dealing with here. But there's no doubt that the closer we draw to a holy life and holy living as we mature in the Christian faith, there comes something that will separate. There is, there is a, divis, a division from the world that ought be there. We should never be, be melding and morphing the world into Christianity. And by the way, we've got to be careful that we do not see things in the world and say, well, I, I, I think that this is a good thing over here. And so let me come to the Bible and see if I can find a way to justify that. We first come to the Bible and say, Lord, show me what pursuing after you and walking after you and what Paul says here, what is proving to be acceptable unto God first. And then that being my ruler, that being my standard, the guide that I have, now I go and I say, okay, what things from the world will measure up to this standard? And if it doesn't measure up, we divide from it. We depart from it. We say that's not part of our life. doesn't mean we don't love those people, but we're not going to participate in it. And uh, we need a revival, I believe, of holy separation again. I, I look at, I, I'm embarrassed to say that I look at where people were 100, 150 years ago in churches. And I'm not saying we have to go back to the Puritan days of wearing the hats and the guys on one side and the girls on but, but, you know, there has been a de- decline of separation. And I've seen it just in my lifetime. Some of you that have gray hair in here, uh, you all know what I'm talking about. We've seen a decline even in our churches of holy separation from God, uh, for God. And, and so we find here, Paul says this in verse 10, Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord and have no fellowship. Do you see that? Have no fellowship with the unfruitful people. Who do unwicked things? Is that what it says? No, the unfruitful what? Works of darkness. So you don't involve yourself in what they're doing. We ought to be in the world, the Bible says, but not of the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. So we don't we don't join we don't join forces with them. We don't go and do the things that they're doing. Uh, we find here that there should be no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And this is something that we have had. Uh, uh, very much uh, a departure from reproving these things. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done in secret. But notice in verse 13, he says, But all things are repro- uh, that are reproved, and these, the challenge he gave us in verse number 12 is that we are to, rep- or verse number uh, 11 is that we are to reprove these things, these fornications, these uncleanness. Um, the covetousness, uh, the things that ought not to even once be named as becometh the saints. Those things that are reproved, notice this verse 13, are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. 
So and I guess the best illustration I, I know of this is if, I look, if we look at the Pharisees. Let's take a minute and look at the Pharisees for a moment. At the time that Christ came on the scene, uh, the Pharisees were considered by the Jews to be some of the uh, religious hierarchy or the religious leaders, and they were, they were the group that was to be looked upon because of their outward, notice this, outward holiness. And even the disciples, when Christ called the disciples, did not have a poor view of the Pharisees. But when the light came, when the Lord Jesus Christ came, and He began to shed light on the shallowness of their hearts, then we began to see that there was some things not right about the Pharisaical approach to things. And, and by the way, that, that illustration holds true today. There are some things, the Bible says twice in the book of Proverbs, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Well, how do we know? Well, we shed light on it. We take the standard of God's Word and we shed light on that thing and say, is this something that needs to be made manifest? Now, notice what he says here, verse 13. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Now, notice that it takes these things that are ungodly and cast them in a shadow where we can understand what should be part of our lives and what should not be part of our lives. Now, that being said, then, then, then look right up here for a moment and let me ask you a couple questions. What should we be using to determine what is good and what is bad for us? With regards to the world, with regards to society, with regards to the morality of mankind, should we be looking at it and saying, well, I feel this, or I feel that about this. Um, I don't care how you feel about the, uh, the abortion, the murdering of infant babies. It's still wrong. Uh, when we look at Scripture and we find out what Scripture says about it, that is our rule. That is our determining factor. It's not based upon how we feel about something. It's not based upon uh, the fact that, boy, I, I don't know that I agree with that. Can I tell you this? Whether I agree with God or not does not mean that that truth is either true or not. The truth is still true, whether I agree with it or not. Somebody said years ago, there's a song out, out in fact, and I've shared it before, there was a song years ago that said, God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it. And I was in church one day years ago, and my dad was preaching, and he, he brought that up, and he said, God said it, uh, I believe it, and that settles it. And then he thought for a second and kind of caught himself, and he said, you know what, really? He said, God said it, and it really doesn't matter if I believe it or not. That still settles it. And so we've got to be careful that we don't come to this place where we say, okay, I'm going to have a social morality it's based on how society is and if it's accepting of this or if it's not accepting of this. Which way is the trend of the world going? And, and I want to follow after that. that. That ought not ever be our guide. Our guide ought to be when we come to the Scriptures and say, okay, what does the Bible say about this? I, I cannot harp on this enough. And when we start dealing with church doctrine here shortly, uh, it's imperative that we understand that, that our doctrine must come from this Word. 
if we've been taught differently in the past, or we've belonged to a group or an organization that calls themselves by some name, and they said, this is what we believe, and it's contrary to Scripture, guess who's wrong? The Bible's not. We're going to come back and say, okay, here, this is what the Bible teaches. And so we find here that, that Paul's putting this emphasis on this separation. And he says, yes, it is, it is a separating issue. It is something that we're not going to link arms and say, okay, let's go do this together. does not mean we don't love the people that do that. We do. We care for them. We care for their souls. We certainly want them to see the light. And we need to be able to reprove the deed. Are you following me? That's what the Bible speaks of here. Verse number 11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And we ought to reprove those works of darkness. But we ought to love the person. Let me tell you this. There have been times in the past where I've had to spank my children or discipline my children in some way. If it was somebody that I didn't know, and didn't, they didn't know me, and I went over there and bent them over my knee and gave them a belt for doing wrong, they might become very, very bitter at that and say, who in the world are you to discipline me? But my kids endure it because they know that I love them and that I only want what's best for them. And it's easier for them to take the reproof because they know they love, that I love them and they love me. Can I tell you this? In dealing with those that are involved in the world, it's easier to reprove them when they know that you love them still. You're not going to condone. You're not going to gloss over what they're doing. You're going to reprove what they're doing. But let me tell you something. I love you. I'm here to be a help to you. Whatever I can do to help you come in line with God's Word, I'm here to help. We find here in verse number 13, But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore, he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. I'm going to give you four steps that Paul gives here to help us to do this. And it's interesting because I actually was going to be preaching on one particular verse out of this just because it was time change, and that was redeeming the time. I thought, boy, what a great way to help them remember a message to do it on time change Sunday. And it developed into more of the message on separation. And uh, I want you to understand and see some things here. Notice what he says here uh, in verse number 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest. Now I want you to notice four things that Paul's going to give to the church. Okay, he's not saying this to lost people. He's giving this to the church at Ephesus. He's writing a letter to them. And the first thing he says is, Awake. <laughs> Wake up. This morning, uh, I got out of bed and I walked into the hallway. Actually, I'd already gotten my shower and was, had done my morning reading time and uh, went to uh, go get ready, get the ironing board, get my clothes ironed and that kind of thing. And I walked down the hallway and I've got two kids snoring away under their blankets in their beds. And I said, okay, guys, it's time to rise and shine. Wake up. Why? Because they could sleep all day long and I could preach my heart out here and they're, not going, to be, they're going to be oblivious to it. I, I could have probably, they, as tired as they were, I probably could have driven the truck into the living room and honked on the horn and they probably would have been oblivious to it. 
Why? Because they were asleep. They weren't able to see what was happening, and they weren't able to be aware of what was happening around them. And what Paul was trying to get to the church in Ephesus is, hey, folks, wake up. Your city is in a mess. Your city has idolatry running rampant. They have immorality running rampant. Wake up. Understand this. And, and we live in a day where I believe a ton of ministries, and I'm going to call them that because I don't know that I can call them all churches. A ton of ministries have thousands and thousands of people in them that are sound asleep spiritually. They have no concept of what God has said about the issue of not even having these things once named among us. Instead, they go out here and they embrace it. They're lulled into a stupor. They're lulled into a sleep spiritually. And there is a need, as there was in the day of Ephesus, there is a need today for our churches and those that name the name of Christ to wake up to some things. I'll tell you this. I started off doing the soul winning training this year. And, boy, I'm going to tell you something. God has peeled back some scales from my spiritual eyes, so to speak, about some things just in that short little thing that we were going to begin dealing with. All of a sudden, it's like an onion peeling the layers back. Well, then we've got to deal with this, and then we've got to deal with this. And I look at that, and I think, God's waking me up as a pastor to some things. And there ought to be more of that going on, not just in my life, but in every life of every believer. That there be an awakening. Because I believe that we live in a day where we have been lulled with our religious liberty into complacency. You see, when men had to give their lives, literally, for pure doctrine's sake, they knew their doctrine. When men had to give their lives for the purity of the Word of God... They knew the Word of God. And we have great liberty to not have to give our lives for those things. Hebrews 13 says, You have not yet resisted unto blood. We've not had to be called to the, the role of being a martyr for the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, we no longer study. We no longer cling to. We no longer love and cherish and have a driving passion to know the Word of God and to hide it in our hearts. And Paul says, Awake, thou that sleepest. Notice secondly, he says in verse number 14, And arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. And I want you to notice thing, uh, a progression that's taking place here. This morning I went in woke my kids up. I said, Hey kids, it's time to wake up. <coughs> and I hear a moan from Reagan's room. And it sounds something like this. <laughs> And Jonathan, he just kind of mumbled something and turned over and pulled the covers up around his head again. I came back about probably 30 seconds later, and Reagan is finally swinging out of bed and getting out of bed. But Jonathan is buried as deep in the covers as he can get. He was awake, but he not yet arisen. And there's some people that will sit here in our churches, and they'll see what's going on. They're aware of it. But they don't get up and do anything about it. Paul said, awake. Paul said, you've got to arise. And then I want you to notice, he says here in verse number 15, see then that you walk. It would have been pretty silly for my kids to wake up this morning, swing their legs out of bed, stand up. And I go home at lunchtime and they're still standing there beside their bed. 
See then that you walk. You've got to put forth a little bit of effort here. How does Paul want us to walk? He says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And there's, there's two principles that are given here, two, two thoughts. The first one is the word circumspectly. The idea that we are aware and we're looking around. And uh, I looked this up in the Webster's Dictionary uh, earlier, and I kind of knew this. But this word is actually made up of two other words, circum. Uh, which is kind of a prefix to it, and we get our word circumference and circumnavigate. It means around. And uh, spectly, which is the word we get our word spectacle from, and the idea of looking and uh, the visualize, uh, visualization of things. And so the idea being that we're aware, we're alert, uh, we're, we're looking all around, we're noticing what's happening here. Um, the women in here probably know this better than the men. But y'all, because y'all have had to experience it with the men, I think, that sometimes men can be a, a one-track mind. You ever notice that? Uh, they get their mind on something. Uh, I was watching a, a video here a while back about the minds of men and how they differ from the minds of ladies. And the fellow that was talking about it said the men, their brains, they have compartments in them. And you put one thing in each of those boxes and don't put anything else in there. And then the boxes cannot touch the other boxes. And when you want to talk to a man about something, he goes to that box and he pulls it out, pulls that one thing out, and that's what you talk about. And when you're done talking about it, he puts it back neatly into the box and tucks it away, not, careful not to touch any of the other boxes. He said, now you come over to a woman's mind, and hers is a big ball of wire, and everything is connected to everything. And, uh, you know, just all goes out. And the neat thing about the men is there's a box, and they've actually done some real studies about this apparently, but they have a box that has nothing in it. And men, they've actually scientifically figured this out, that it's possible for men to think about nothing for hours on end. How else do you explain fishing? For hours and hours and hours, you know. But that's the way men's minds work. Men and women are different. And men probably have a harder time following this principle of Scripture than women do. Looking around. Being aware. Constantly. See then that you walk circumspectly. Walk around and be noticing and aware of what's happening around you. What is the condition of our country? What is the condition of our brothers and sisters in Christ? What is the condition of our church? What is the condition of my own heart with regards to my relationship to God? What is the condition of my holy living? Does it measure up to Scripture? Am I aware of that, conscious of this all the time, thinking about it? See, then it's walk circumspectly. And then I want you to notice, not only are we to be aware of those things, but notice he says, not as, uh, not as fools, but as wise. As we look at these things, then we have to compare them and we have to find out and have some discernment. Is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? I'm going to ask you a question. How do we discern what is good and what is bad from God's Word? Not by what's legal. Amen? <laughs> not, certainly not by what some of the colleges and universities tell us is right. It's not by the, 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 the uh, Congress and the legislators in Washington, D.C. What determines what is right and what determines what is wrong is God's Word. 
So as we're looking circumspectly, we're looking around, we're understanding the times, we're seeing what's happening here, then we take those things, we bring them into comparison with God's Word and see how they measure up. So we're to awake, we're to arise, and we're to walk circumspectly. And I want you to notice lastly, verse number 16, he says this, redeeming the time. The word redeeming here actually is one of these thoughts of, uh, of buying it back, uh, purchasing, paying the price for, understanding the value of, and investing in it. You understand that this moment of time is only here once. We started at 105-ish, 103, and we've been here at this point about 50 minutes. We can never reclaim those 50 minutes. We must learn to understand the value of the time. We only have, uh, somebody said this years ago, and, and uh, I think Brother Don Sisk is known for quoting it quite a lot. Quite a lot. Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. We get one shot at it. I wish that we had a reset button. I wish we had a button that would take us back five years or ten years, or every time you hit it, it's a year back each time. There's a lot of things I would do different. But we don't get that chance. So Paul says, redeem the time. Buy it. Hold fast to it. Understand the value of it. Why? Because the days are evil. You're the church... You have the light, and whatever the light touches, it illuminates. And he talks about that in verses 10 through 13. Make these things manifest, reprove them by the light. You only get one chance in life. We only get one chance to be a soul winner. We only get one chance to have a life that is holy and pleasing to God. what do we do? We awake out of our slumber. We arise from the dead and let Christ give us light. We walk circumspectly, making sure we discern the wisdom that is needed to understand the times. And we redeem the time because the days are evil. And Paul finishes it out by saying this, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the what? What is it? What the will of the Lord is. I know we say this all the time, or a lot of people do. I just don't know what God's will is. Yes, we do. He's given it to us. We know His will. We can read these pages of Scripture, and we can see what God's heart is, how He views things. We can see what pleases Him, and we can see what displeases Him. And, and really, there's not, you know, you hear these people talk about, well, there's a lot of gray area. There may be some gray area in God definitively in black and white coming out and saying things because he doesn't address every sin that man can do. But there's no gray area between what's right and what's wrong. And there's no gray area between knowing what God, what pleases God and what makes God unhappy. God doesn't change in that. There's never a point where sometimes God says, I'll be happy with this, but man, you you hit me tomorrow on a bad day and I'm going to be unhappy with it. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
And what pleases him today is going to please him tomorrow. And what displeases him today is going to displease him tomorrow. And you can mark it down throughout eternity. That will not change. So what do we do? Well, Paul says, Be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. It means we better get in this book. We better learn it. We better understand it. And know what God believes to be right and what God believes to be wrong. We find four things that Paul's given to us. I think all four of them are things that we must battle day to day. There's a tendency for us to fall asleep spiritually. I've seen people do that. I've gone into churches where people who used to be on fire for the Lord are just sitting there breathing the good air in and blowing the bad air out, and that's all they ever do. We need to arise. We need to walk circumspectly. We need to redeem the time. All of us here will tell, I'm sure we'd tell testimony of the fact that we don't have as much time today left as we used to. I don't know when God's going to call me home. Brother Ray went home the other day. He and Miss Jean were walking out to the truck to go to supper. I thank God they didn't get on the road. And literally, Brother Ray walked over there and opened the door of the truck to get in. And before he could lift his foot to step in the truck, dropped down. We don't know when we're going to go. But I can tell you this. We have less time today than we did yesterday. So what do we do about that? We redeem the time. We redeem the time. We're going to give an account, the Bible says, for every idle word. I believe time spent wasted, I believe we're going to give an account for. Time that... I know that there's times, even Christ, in his ministry, in his human form, there were times he needed to go out into the desert alone and be away from the crowds. I have no doubt that there are times that we need the recreation, we need the rest. But how much of the time that we do have do we not redeem? Redeeming the time. Let's stand together, shall we, with heads bowed. Father, we're thankful for your word. There's such a need in our, our churches today and in our own personal lives to have a revival of holy living, and I pray that you would help us to go to your word. Father, we need to have a revival of going back and finding what does your word say, to find out and understand what your will is according to Scripture. While you may not address every particular sin, Lord, we certainly have your heart on the issues. We know what pleases you. We know what displeases you. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to have the discernment, the, the fact that we can walk circumspectly with some wisdom and understanding, knowing uh, the things that are so. Lord, I pray that there would be a return to the separation that is needed in our lives from the things of this world. Things that would displease you and things that would bring a reproach to your name and things that would bring a reproach to the testimony that you've asked us to have. I pray that you'd bless the invitation time and the time that we spend here together. 
And Lord, that you would work on hearts as you would see fit, that your Holy Spirit would give, be given free course. Lord, may there be a softness to our hearts. May we not be stubborn. May we not be hard-hearted in this.